Good to be with you this morning. So um, Children's Church is today, but before the children are dismissed, let's just announce that Mike Yoder will serve as our next elder. So next Sunday morning, we'll have a commissioning service for Marvin and Mike, both, and they're Marvin Dorothy, Mike and Melissa. Uh, if their children are, if Melissa is able to be here, but we'll have a, a special commissioning service next Sunday morning for that. Thank you to Benson's for being willing to to be uh, potential candidates. Thank you. Children are dismissed for Children's Church. Also, um, I really appreciate what Murph said, praying for Zolikin. It is exciting to see uh, roughly 70 to 80 people show up uh, to learn. And many of them, you know, they're practical things like, uh, like Excel and financial management but all of them are built in a Christian framework. And uh, I am very privileged to be uh, a faculty member. I teach a preaching course. And I have 20 preachers or teachers in my course. And it is an amazing, it, it's really, they've really pushed me. Uh, it's also a joy to have Wayne and Chris in class, but they've really pushed me. And so um, when Chris, uh, Friday night, he, Friday he let us know that he's not feeling well, and he, can barely talk, and I, I remembered Paul's words to Timothy that I read to them, be ready to preach. And that means you should be studied ahead of time. doesn't mean you should just be able to pull it off the cuff, that you should be studying all the time. And so I'm going to, um, fortunately I'm teaching this class, which reminded me that I need to keep studying, so I've been working on something. Please turn in your uh, copies of the scriptures to 1 John. First John. This is an exciting portion of Scripture uh, that that connects us to something much bigger than ourselves. First John. I'm going to read the first four verses of First John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things, so that our joy may be complete. Now, when I read these words... That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen. Talk about the Word and the Word becoming flesh. What does that remind you of? Another passage in Scripture. You should read your Bibles, you know. John 1, same writer, same author, where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh, and the, and the flesh... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh. Oh, and the word dwelt among us, something like that. So, so that's his idea of the incarnation of Jesus coming to earth. By the way, uh, one of my Amish preacher friends is challenging me right now about memorizing scripture. You know, they memorize large portions sometimes, and I, I need to work, really work on that. And you can't use the excuse of age, because you can memorize. It's harder, because your brain is fuller, but you should memorize. So that's what I was trying to do with John 1, and I'm, you make me nervous, and so I... I'm, not your fault, but anyway. So, so John has this idea about the incarnation. 
But incarnation is Jesus coming to earth. And for early Christians, early Christians believed that Jesus came to earth to bring salvation to God's people, Israel. But much bigger than Israel, to the whole world. And it strikes me that we often think about Jesus coming to earth, dying, living here on earth, dying, and then rising again from the dead. We often think about that in terms of what it gives us, eternal life, the opportunity to get to go to heaven. What if it, that's not how the early Christians thought about it as much. Sure, they thought about it like that, but they actually thought about what does this do to our lives today? What does it change in our lives today if Jesus was made flesh and dwelt among us? That's a different perspective than saying it gives me something that I can look forward to in the future. They would have believed that Jesus, and and we should too, that Jesus came to earth in physical form, which is important. He actually suffered as a human, which is important, because uh, one of the first heresies that comes out against Christianity very early on, shortly, uh, this is uh, 1 John, this, John probably wrote this, uh, it's one of the last books of the Bible written, so it's probably about 90, 95, about the time he wrote Revelation, the, or, or the Revelation that follows this. This is John the Apostle, he's an old man, and at, at this point he is one of the last living people who have actually walked with Jesus in physical form. And notice what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. So he is saying, this is what I experienced. I experienced Jesus physically. And that's really important because one of the first heresies that comes along that, that... that kind of comes against Christianity is, the, is something called docetism. And that's the idea that Jesus wasn't fully human. That he didn't suffer, he, he was all God and no human, or not fully human. So therefore he didn't experience life as a human being. So the Greeks believed that matter was evil. So physic, your physicalness is bad. And therefore, how can you assign physicalness to a supreme being, to God? That's where it has its origins there. And, and so, but John comes against that and saying, no, no, he was fully human. And that is really important. And, and actually, um, it's a very modern-day issue to, to think about, what, what, did Jesus really come to earth in physical form? If you, if you listen to the questions behind the questions, behind the questions that people ask, they're often wondering, is Jesus worthy to be followed? Did, does he know what my life is like? And that is that docetistic question. Does he understand what it means to live in human flesh? And John says, he does. I saw it. I looked on it. I heard it. I touched it. He was human. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, so, so the focus of, of 1 John is, is to kind of come against that heresy. It's already beginning to rise up. 
these people say, yeah, but he was not really fully human. And so John says, he was human. And he made a way. And, and the incarnation, think about this. Jesus coming to earth is actually like um, an invasion of the devil's territory. So, so God created a world that is beautiful and good, and man sins, and it becomes, Satan gets a certain amount of territory in human hearts and in the cosmos, in the world, and God says, but I am going to redeem it. And God gives ample time for Israel to, to build, and, and it's too, too long a story, sometime we need to talk about that story, but then Jesus comes to earth and it's like a beachhead, it's like D-Day in, in humanity when Jesus comes to earth because he is breaching Satan's territory in physical form which is very important for us. It, it actually changes our lives much more than thinking simply, I get to go to heaven someday. That's a beautiful thing that I get to, uh, actually, I get to dwell. The, the, the New Testament does not use heaven as clearly as evangelical Americans do. What, what, what it happens in, in the New Testament, how it talks about heaven, is that we get to dwell with Jesus, wherever that is. Wherever he is, we get to be in his presence, finding full rest, and finding full completion there. But Jesus' incarnation and coming to earth is so that we actually can live well today, this week, in Holmes County, Ohio, or wherever you live. Let's, the, the, the most in, important doctrine, Christian doctrine, if you want to call it that, is the fact that Jesus, the eternal... The eternal Jesus, the eternal God, sends Jesus to earth. The Father sends Jesus to earth, sends his own self in his, the body of his son to earth, and he lives here. He, he is born here as a baby. He takes the limitations of humanity so that you and I can have a better life here. Um, and we'll look at what that better life is. So let's just look at the passage again. That which was from the beginning... So is, is, is he only talking about the beginning of Jesus' life here on earth? What is the beginning here? What does he say in, first, in, in John 1? In the beginning was. It doesn't say God began in the beginning, or it doesn't say in the beginning is God. It says in the beginning was God. He was always here, always there, but in the beginning of the earth, God was there. In the beginning, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Now, this is really fascinating. Um, John uses four, four things here. We, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched. So the heard, seen, looked upon, and touched. The, the first two in Greek are in perfect tense. This is important because that, that means it's done, but it still has effects. So... The fact that we heard him and that we saw him, we no longer hear and see him, but it has effects today on my life, John is saying. That which we have heard, which we have seen in the past, has effects today. The last two, which we, which we looked upon and, ha and have touched with our hands. And again, looked upon and touched, seen and looked upon. Why does he use that twice? 
because he's, he, the last two are an aorist tense, making them an act in history. This is actual an act of history that, be, that was. So we saw him, we, we looked upon him. And see, notice it's past tense even in English. We looked upon him, we saw him. He was here in physical form. He was not just a, a whisper, a, a spirit, a, a floating, ephemeral body that didn't suffer. He was here. We touched him. I reclined on his breast. Remember? John, at the Last Supper, is closest to Jesus. John touched him. John touched the eternal God. Can you imagine the awe in John? And then he says, concerning, let's just read again, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. Word of life. So the Greeks also believed, greater Greeks, not just the, the Christian Greeks, the Greeks believed there was an organizing principle in the world that made everything work. They called that principle logos. So very word John uses here. So he says, concerning the logos of life. Logos means much more, sometimes logos is translated word in English, but it means much more than word. It means the organizing principle, the thing that makes it work. And so John is saying the thing that makes life work is the fact that Jesus came to earth. Ha! I, I love that because it, that the same truth that, that John experienced is present with us today. You and I can live in the power of Jesus coming to earth, having suffered like we are. We have a God who suffered all the temptations that you and I suffer today. He suffered the temptation for selfishness, for lust, for, um, for anger. He suffered those things. He, he went through those things and he overcame them. So here's the reason why it's important that Jesus was physical. Because if he wasn't physical, with all the problems of the physical body and the brokenness of humanity, that makes a large portion of the scripture untrue. We have a high priest who has been touched with the same infirmities that we have. Hmm. He knows what it's like. So what difference will that make this week in your life? As you think about Jesus coming to earth, and think about Jesus coming to earth, the gospel, the plan of salvation, if you want to call it that. Not as simply a fire escape. A fire escape from hell. An opportunity to get to go to heaven. But an organizing principle around which you live your life. If Jesus is the word, logos, the word of life, then he is the organizing principle of our lives. Interestingly enough, when, when early Christians read, uh, let's, let's just keep reading it now in verse 2, the life was made manifest, which means made revealed. The life was revealed. Again, he's coming back at this idea. It was real. The life was revealed. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. Now, when we read eternal life, we think about a quantity of time that we can't quantify. Right? 
How long is eternal? None of us really knows. It's just eternal. When, when the early Christians read that passage, sure they thought about the fact that they're going to live forever, but to them, zoe, which is the Greek word life, was much more about a quality of life. Jesus is the organizing principle that gives life richness and fullness. That's so beautiful. We have eternal life. Eternal life does not start when you die. Eternal life starts when you are born into the life of Jesus. That's when eternal life starts. And eternal life is the length of time, but it is also a quality of life, a kind of life that you and I get to experience. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, testified to it, and proclaimed to you that, that this quality and length of life, which was with the Father and was revealed to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So I'm here to tell you that what John is telling us today is the very same thing he was telling his, the people he wrote this letter to. Actually, this is probably a sermon that John preached wrote out and preached, and it would have been read as a sermon. Uh, I actually practiced this. You can read 1 John uh, out loud in about, um, in a little less than between 15 and 20 minutes. So maybe that should be the guiding principle for our sermons, but anyway. Um, so, so he's saying, so, so John is telling them, do you want, really want to experience the richness of the incarnation? The fact that we celebrated Christmas just recently, it, it ties into this. So G Christmas is about Jesus coming to earth as a baby to live among, among, God, among the people that God loves. God is not some angry God up in heaven saying, oh, I hate the world so much, I'm going to send Jesus so that I can overcome that. No, that's not. God loved the world so much that he gave himself so that you and I could experience life in its richness. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. When somebody says, share the gospel with people, you know what you have to share? Your own life. What you've experienced in Jesus. So the incarnation brought life in its best to us. And then because of the incarnation, we can have fellowship with God. We were alienated from God. Jesus made a way that you and I could have fellowship with God and the Son and the Spirit. So um, over the last two weeks, week and a half, I've been thinking a great deal about, about what it means to live in, in the richness of of Jesus in the middle of pain and suffering. What does it mean when, when, when bad things happen in our world? I, I read this account recently in Oz Guinness's book about a group of Rwandan Christians who, after the horrible, um, remember, is it 20 years now that this genocide happened in Rwanda? And these, these warring tribes swept in and entire villages except for maybe a few women, in, in this case, a few women, 
Christian village. Entire village was destroyed. Everyone was killed. And when the first observers and reporters came into the village, there's a few women left in this village of several hundred people alive. And those few women were taking two pieces of wood and fashioning a small crosses, not to put in to the places where their loved ones lay, but to remind them that in Jesus, there is a strength to keep going. So when bad things happen to us, we have something much greater than just our own reserves of strength to draw from. We have the power and the fellowship of God the Father to connect us. Notice what it says. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So even our fellowship together as brothers and sisters, and I'm reminded of Galatians 2, where Paul says, there's these Gentiles, and then there's the Jews. And they couldn't get along except for one place, that is the church of Jesus Christ, because the power of Jesus overcomes all those boundaries. And suddenly there is a, a common ground for people with diverse backgrounds, diverse views, to find a space where they can together worship. That word fellowship is koinonia. It's where we get our word for communion. So last Sunday we celebrated communion. And in that togetherness, we were saying, we have something in common with each other. So we can, we can have fellowship. That is a result. A result of, of eternal life, the word of life, is fellowship. And then he closes this passage by saying, and we are writing these things so that our joy or your joy may be complete. Now, it, it doesn't mean complete. The word complete here doesn't mean end it, like complete it. It means to fill up so that your joy might fill up. John is an old man who has lived in exile. He's suffered horribly. He's seen all his comrades. In, at, at, by, this, by, by the time he writes this, most likely all the other disciples are dead. And he has, he has experienced horrible things in life as a believer. But he said, you know what? All those things that happened, because Jesus came to earth in fleshly form. He came to earth as a baby. He lived here among us. I touched him. I saw him. You have the opportunity to be touched by him, to see him, to experience him, the word of life. You can have fellowship with each other that is deep, rich, and meaningful. You can have fellowship with the Father, the ultimate uh, organizing factor of the universe. You can have fellowship with him, and you can have joy that keeps building. Because we understand the grand and glorious truth that what we experience here in fleshly form is not all there is. That someday, Jesus will return to earth in whatever manner that is, and we will rule in the new heaven and the new earth with him. See, one of the overriding things that the early church believed is the fact that someday this will change. It may not be in my lifetime, but this will change, and Jesus will create a new heaven and a new earth, and I will be known to my fullest. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. 
I will be known to my fullest, and I will experience the fullness of the richness of the gifts that God gave me, the gifts that God gave my brothers and sisters, the gifts that God gave to the body, and the, and the gift, the ultimate gift of Jesus. And we can live in the richness of that, knowing that, that this is not all there is. And that is actually exciting. You know, I get excited about saying, you know what, we're not done. I also get excited about thinking about Christianity not as some kind of future thing where I get to experience something in the future, but as something I can experience now. Fellowship, connection, but the joy of knowing that Jesus is bigger than my, my world and that Jesus is bigger than me. Let's stand together. So what does this mean this week?